This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. In a summer of contract renewals, have the Reds missed out on the biggest of all as Michael Edwards' eyes and Anfield exit? The title tussle sees two points drop to Tuchel's men. And with deadline day looming, will Liverpool leap into action? Ready to get into all of that here on the Bank Holiday Monday, fresh from the Anfield excursion on Saturday. We have our Liverpool correspondent, Tuchel Gorst, the chief Ian Doyle and the O Theo Squires. Gents, I hope you're all keeping well. Gorsty, I'll throw over to you first and... I have to say, very surprised this Monday morning to wake up and read that Michael Edwards could well be off at the end of the season. Yeah, um, interesting one, wasn't it? I don't think people, too many people, seen it coming. But um, when you when you break it down and you look at it, it does make a little bit of sense. He's been at the club for a decade now. Um, you know, that's a long time to be working in, in any workplace, isn't it? And he is uh, said to be eyeing a fresh challenge, and you, you can understand that to a degree. It must be, um, no, it's it's not a nine to five Monday to Friday job as it being the sporting director of Liverpool Football Club. So maybe he feels he might want some time off. But we're not too sure. Um, what we do know is Liverpool are hopeful that he will extend his contract beyond next summer, um, and obviously follow suit from the negotiations that he's done himself with the likes of Robertson, Fabinho, Allison. And, Van Dijk and, and Alexander Arnold this summer and, and stay beyond the terms of, of his current deal. So uh, Liverpool still looking to try to, you know, kind of get that done essentially. But the report is that um, he's looking for, you know, potentially looking for a bit of a breather. Um, and and I, I can understand that. Um, it'd be a massive blow for Liverpool because he's um, he's been kind of. You know, he's, he's carved out a bit of a reputation as one of the preeminent sporting directors in European football since November 2016. And um, that's very difficult to do when you've got the profile of Edwards because he doesn't um, doesn't look for the limelight in any way, stretch or form. He's had one on-the-record interview during that time and it was when it was all about uh, how the AXA training centre came about with Liverpool's official website in November, was it, last year? So... Um, He's not someone like a Monchi or a, um, well, there's a few of them, isn't there, really? But, you know, sporting directors who speak quite often and quite happy to give interviews. Michael Edwards has come from a very different cloth and has still managed to um, carve out a, a massive reputation for himself. So um, he's been huge in Liverpool's success over the last you know, four or five years doing that job. And uh, hopefully Liverpool can uh, extend them beyond this summer, but looks as though he, he might uh, fancy a bit of a, you know, a look elsewhere and see what it's about. Yeah, Doyle, what do you make of it? Because after what seems to have been quite a steady summer in terms of getting all those contract renewals done, does this kind of have the, the possibility to maybe rock the boat a bit at Kirby or at Anfield? Well, it'll, it'll rock it in the sense that if, if he does leave and Liverpool still want him to stay and they're rather, they, you know, they would prefer that he did stay. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there in the end. But, um, I mean, the interesting, for, the interesting thing for me was the timing of it. I mean, we're only a day away from the, the transfer deadline. And had he been a player, he'd come out and this kind of thing had happened. Then you'd think, well, what's the ulterior motive here? Is he trying to force the club into giving him, giving him a better contract? Or is he trying to force the club into buying player X, Y or Z? So, you know, I'm not saying that's the case because we literally, we don't know. But that is what people would infer. So I do think the time is interesting. 
Yeah, in terms of in terms of Edwards himself, I mean everything that Gorsi just said. You know, ten years is a long time to be working at the same place. Although he's been in the job, what was it five years now? Not even quite five years as the sporting director, but he was kind of linked to that role and did a lot before then. Um, so yeah, it is. Um, it, would it be a blow? I mean, it's a blow in the sense that if you lose any kind of senior figure, if he ends up, say, let's say for example, I don't know, let's. So say he ends up at Man City, that's not going to happen, but let's just say that he did, then he'd obviously, certainly for the, the early while that he'd be at whatever club he's at, he'd have intimate knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes at Liverpool. So he'll know that. And that's always the case, no matter who it is that leaves whatever club and goes from wherever to wherever. So that's one issue that Liverpool would have to, you know, not deal with, but be wary of. That's why you get people put on gardening leave and stuff like that in, in, in other roles to, to prevent that from happening. No suggestion that's going to happen, by the way. Um but, you know, he is somebody who has been integral, not just in the buying of players. I mean, you saw the stuff on, on social media where people were saying, well, no wonder he's leaving. Liverpool aren't buying anybody. Well, that's not just that, not just his job, is it? If anything, he's even better at selling players. I mean, you've seen the, um, you've seen what he did with the likes of Dominic Solanke, the, the, the fees that he got. Brian Brewster's another one. And even recently, there was that strange, well, I thought it was a bit odd, that when Shakiri went to Leon and they agreed a 9.5 million deal, you had... Um, on Leon's website, they were saying big thanks to Billy Ogan and 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 and, 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 and Michael Edwards for the, for their part of the deal. It's like, well, it's obvious they were involved, but just interesting that they thanked him. So, I don't know whether something's been going. Obviously, it's been going on for a while. Liverpool would have known for a while that his contract is up at the end of the end of this season, and they would have wanted to get something sorted. So, whether or not that was just they wanted to get word out, saying, "Oh, well done, Michael." I don't know, but you know, we're a bit long in the tooth. Uh, We've seen quite a lot, certainly I have in my time. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. But overall, Liverpool would be losing, as Ghosty said, one of the best sporting directors. I have actually seen him. I've actually seen him in from the flesh. I've actually very exchanged pleasantries at one point. So I, I, I can confirm he does actually exist. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it will be a blow. But, you know, we know that Liverpool, you know, they've had many people behind the scenes in the past have left and they have ultimately replace them if you know, if if he goes then Liverpool will have to replace him and I'm sure there'll be an awful lot of people who quite fancy doing that job yeah quite difficult though Theo to I suppose underplay actually the involvement that Michael Edwards has had Jurgen Klopp when he signed his new contract through to 2024 immediately kind of highlighted Michael Edwards as, as one of the key players in the success that has been brought to Liverpool yeah, you can tell those two. They work so closely together and they have a great relationship. And that's something else that Liverpool would lose from Mike Ledwood's leaving. Like you see at other clubs, um, and it's happened in the past, where the manager doesn't get on with the, the people above him and the, the falling outs. Liverpool had it with Rafa Benitez, didn't they? Only 10, 15 years ago. So it's one where whoever they bring in, um, it needs to be someone who's got that relationship with Jürgen Klopp and it can, picks up, it can pick up where it left off because it can rock the boat. And we hear from all these stories with Michael Edwards. We might not hear from him, but we know the work he does, not just extending contracts and things. It's with the um, international players as well. Like when they were talking about um, arguing with Egypt over whether Salah goes to the Olympics or not or the Cup of Nations. Michael Edwards was heavily involved in those conversations as well, explaining why we're not going to let him go. And so he's built such good relations with these international FAs. I think, well, he's so involved right across the board. He's got great relations with the manager, with the players. And it's one where if you lose that from behind the scenes, if you've got someone who isn't the perfect fit, it can take time for him to settle in and keep on going and 
like George has said, it will obviously rock the boat and you lose someone of that importance. Yeah, of course, we've seen, I suppose, with other clubs in the Premier League, when they've had success, it's often been a, a manager and whether it be chief executive or sporting director, chairman, whatever the, the relationship you want to call it, that sometimes when these figures behind the scenes have moved on, the likes of David Gill and Alex Ferguson moved on and the likes of David Dean at Arsenal with Arsene Wenger, when they've moved on, it has actually left quite a big gap to fill. And I suppose it will with Michael Edwards, should he decide to, to move on. But Liverpool may be already beginning to to think about succession planning in that regard. Yeah, I think the way Liverpool have kind of structured themselves now with, with Klopp and Michael Edwards over the last four or five years is to negate the impact of, of an absence, if you like. So say Michael Edwards does leave, they've still got the framework in place for them to be as successful as possible. I think when you look at the how the data analysis team work, you know, um, Ian Graham and, and all his team and the head of recruitment and the, the chief scouts and obviously all reporting to Michael Edwards and then Klopp with his um, his staff as well, you know, John Ackerberg and, and, and they're always kind of looking to tweak it and, and improve it. But um, generally the... And the structure is in place so that it doesn't crumble if if someone leaves. And and I suppose that's mirrored on the pitch as well. You know, if you look at Liverpool's squad as a whole, um, obviously they felt the loss of Virgil van Dijk at times last season, but they didn't immediately fall to bits that they when he when he got injured. It took them two and a half months or so before, you know, a lot of other injuries kind of bit and Liverpool started to really feel the pinch. But um generally the way that the setup means that uh, if Michael Edwards was to leave you know, on transfer deadline day tomorrow, I don't think it'd be a, a huge, you know, um, kind of gaping hole in, in how Liverpool operate. Uh, he's obviously very good at what he does, and, and as we've said there, he's kind of forced that reputation for himself, I think. But I think the promotion of Julian Ward in December to assistant sporting director, you know, Liverpool's first ever assistant sporting director, because Michael Edwards is the first ever sporting director, um, it's almost kind of um, gearing him up for more responsibility in in that role beyond kind of um, dealing with players or junior players, if you like, you know, trying to sort the loans for the likes of Rian Brewster and, and Harvey Elliott and Nico Williams and, and whoever else is kind of coming in for, for loans. So, um, yeah, David Wilkfine is is the loan and pathways manager now, I think, and Julian Ward deals a lot more with the first team negotiations and I believe he was very important behind the scenes in the the fact that Liverpool were able to get substantially more money for Shikari than Leon were initially willing to pay. So um he's somebody who seems to be um you know kind of furthering his reputation and gaining more respect and we shall see if he if he's needed to to maybe step into that that role. But uh, yeah I mean I don't think he could sugarcoat it too much. I think Liverpool would rather keep Edwards and if he leaves leaves it would be a blow but I don't think it's going to mean that Liverpool are going to completely fall apart at the seams and then they're going to have to rip the blueprints up and start afresh. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I suppose on, on Julian Ward, Doyle, it feeds back into part of the, the conversation we had on Friday's podcast, actually, in terms of how Liverpool are trying to bring through more and more young players at the moment and whether it then be a case of selling them on. And I suppose if you look at Michael Edwards, he's helped put this squad together and 
tie down a number of them to new contracts. And now if he were to move on, then the next phase maybe would be someone like Julian Ward, who's known all about these young players. As Gorsty said, sent a few out on specific loans to different places and, and then would be able to sort of really just seamlessly move into that role if indeed, as we say, that is what is going to end up playing out. Well, don't forget that Edwards didn't arrive as a sporting director. He was brought in by uh, Damien Camoli, who was the then director of football. I'm pretty sure he was Liverpool's first director of football, actually, um, back in 2011. And he he progressed from, a, was it head of performance and analysis to yeah. head of something, I can't remember, then technical director and then the sporting director in November 20, 2016. So Liverpool probably thinking this possibly that Julian Ward could follow the same route. I mean, he only... As Ghosty said, they invented the position for him, and partly you would assume to help him prepare him whether or not it's to do that actual job or to do something similar, or certainly fill in for Michael Edwards when he's not available. Um, but he's only he only took it last December, so it's still early days for him. But if Edwards does leave, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to be another best part of a year. So you could argue that maybe Julian Moore will have an extra, you know, as I say, an extra 10 months to to get used to the fact that he'll be taken over. And, you know, he's very well connected like Michael Edwards is. He's, as Gorsi said, he's been the sorting out the loan pathways with the with the kids and and more, some of the more senior players as well. When we're talking like, uh, um, I can't remember, what's his name? Taiwo Awonyi. I can never pronounce Awani, it. Never yeah, pronounce Awani. it. Him as well, yeah. 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 But he went on loan something like five or six times, didn't he? So... Julian was looking after a, a lot of that. And there are, you know, you, you forget, you, you see when Liverpool, it, it, that's an important job because they're all the players that Liverpool don't get to see but are still on Liverpool's books. So that's how he's able to build up his contacts and through that way. So he's known, you know, quite across Europe. So I wouldn't be too worried in that respect. But as I said before, it's a job that, and of course, he made a good point. They've got the framework in place. So, you know, it, it's, the, what is it, what's the buzz phrase at the moment? You know, trust the process. So the Liverpool have to trust that. Sorry, uh, I'm done with that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> Liverpool, Liverpool will be trusting their particular process because it's worked. And we, it's like we only will know how good Michael Edwards truly was when he goes. Liverpool clearly don't want that to be anytime soon, but it will come at some point. Then FSG have got a decision to make: do they fiddle with the with the framework, or do they stick with it and do natural progression of succession, or do they bring somebody else in? And, you know, another year down the line, things might have changed further. We don't know. Anyone take me on, on on this one? It might be a stupid point, but I just want to throw it out there. Is it therefore maybe slightly comparable to when Buvac moved on as assistant and everybody thought, oh, no, everything's going to crumble. But actually, you've Pep Linders there. You've the rest of sort of the coaching team that shifts and mould around and somebody always ready to step up and take responsibility, I suppose. It feels like Liverpool have that framework in place, whether it be coaching staff, whether it be technical directors or, or things behind the scenes? Yeah, I, th- I think people know, um, well, they certainly think they know one aspect of Michael Edwards' remit. We was a little bit different, wasn't he? Because you don't know yeah. what's getting said behind the scenes and, and what he does specifically. But with Edwards, people know that he's your transfer man, don't they? And people will always think that they know the ins and outs when it comes to the trading of players, but Edwards' role went far beyond that, didn't it? Um, he was, you know, he was tasked with sorting out contracts for Liverpool's biggest stars this summer, and, and he's largely gone and done that, hasn't he? He's obviously signed extensions for Van Dijk and Fabinho, Allison, um, Alexander Arnold, Robertson, Adrian, uh, Harvey Elliott, which um, you know he started the last two Premier League games in midfield, so 
let's not overlook that field too much. And Quiven Callagher and um, mainly done what he, what he set out to, to do. Um, Mohamed Salah is probably the, the glaring omission at the moment from that one, but hopefully we, we can see that resolved and maybe Jordan Henderson to go along with it. So um, in the main, he, he's, you know, he, he's, he's excelled in that area and he was also instrumental in Liverpool, uh, Liverpool's kind of design of the access centre, wasn't he? He went to, uh, went to Liefering in, in Austria to look at the, the Red Bull Academy and have a look at um, Brighton and Tottenham's that were also designed by the same architects, KSS. So um, I think that'll be that will be his last legacy when he leaves Liverpool. This fifty million pound world class training base that is going to put the club, you know, in good stead for the next you know fifty years. Um, I think that will kind of outshine any kind of individual transfer that he's brought to the club, and um, he's been um, a superb sporting director. And as Dodie says, he's still got a minimum of, of twelve months or so left, hasn't he? So. Um, yeah, hopefully he uh, he might be able to pull a rabbit out the hat tomorrow uh, and or January. Yeah, it wouldn't be the, the the first time. Theo, you've been busy there boxing away with your your microphone <laughs> uh, during during the recording of the pod. But in terms of Michael Edwards, and I suppose a lot of people listening will just be wondering, well, tell us what impact it's going to have on on the pitch, on the team, and with I suppose Jurgen Klopp, they really have built a, a power axis. The two of them. Does this only serve if he is to to leave at the end of his contract, serve to underline the point that Jurgen Klopp will more than likely be moving on in 2024 at the end of his own deal? Well, we thought that was going to be the case at the end of well, Klopp's original contract and it was a bit of a surprise when he signed this extension. So I suppose it's just how he feels when it comes a bit closer around. Like Pep Guardiola's come out and said somewhere, isn't he, that he's going to leave at the end of his contracts. But we've been talking about Michael Edwards. He's been in his job a long time, but these elite managers have been at their clubs for a long time. And it's just whether they still have the hunger for it or if they need the break at the end of it. Um, but then Klopp's always someone who's lived, breathed and slept football, hasn't he? Like uh, he was supposed to be taking a sabbatical when Liverpool lured him away only a few months into it. He can never stay away for long. Um, if he's building a successful Liverpool team, he's still challenging for Premier League titles, Champions League titles. It's how many of them does he want to win or challenge for until he needs that break. Um, it's going to be the longest stint of his career at Liverpool, isn't it, With when he sees out this contract. So it's just whether he realises what he's got is special and he wants to hold on to it that bit longer or not. Um, just be grateful that he's not going to go at the end of Michael Edwards' contract, that, you know, with Klopp, he, he will see out his deal if he doesn't extend a, um, a sign a new one. And then it's just, well, this whole process for Liverpool over the last couple of years, it is about looking to the future, building this next generation, We're seeing it on the pitch with just likes of... Uh, Trent getting a massive long-term contract with Harvey Elliott coming into the starting eleven. It's all looking to the future, building this next great Liverpool team. And I suppose it's going to be similar for off the scenes now as well. It's making sure it's in the best possible position for a successful Klopp one day, for Michael Edwards' successor one day. It's just what happens, isn't it, at football clubs? It's what they all do. Um, and the fact that, it is, that they've got uh, Julian Ward bringing in, doing that um, position process from December, you were saying, well, Perhaps Malcolm Edwards has been hinting for a while that he wants to go at the end of his contract and this is about having that understudy to him to learn from him and mould him for this position. Now, Liverpool aren't going to be able to mould, say, Steven Gerrard for the job if they wanted to give him Jurgen Klopp's position, but Pep Linders is there. It's all about making sure it's in the best possible state and whilst you might lose these figureheads 
uh, Loughborough want to make sure that when that happens, it's not going to be another 30 years before they win the league title, that they're going to be in the best possible position uh, going forward. Time to talk football then. You guys were, were all at Anfield at the weekend. Doyle, I'll throw over to you. 1-1 draw in the end with Chelsea. It was dubbed a, an early season uh, grudge match between two sides wanting to win the title. Liverpool played 45 minutes against 10 men. Could they, should they have done more and taken the three points? Um, I think we have to point out that I said it was going to be one all in the podcast on Friday. Yeah, before we go any further. Uh, <laughs> admittedly, I didn't expect Liverpool to be playing against 10 men for a whole half. I mean, it was a great game until the red card, wasn't it? Ruined it. Totally ruined it. Second half just became Chelsea went, oh, well, we're one all. We're just going to stick everybody behind the ball. I think they only went over the, the halfway line about three times. And if playing against Chelsea at the best, certainly the under Tuchel at the best of times is hard. But when they've, you know, when they've decided, right, we're just going to put everybody behind the ball, it's it's very, very difficult. They're defensively very sound. They're, they're set up very, very well. Interesting that they kept with the back five, didn't they, after the, the, the red card? And, of course, they lost Kante as well, which was a blow for them uh, at round about the same time. So they just made the decision, right, we're just going to try and get keep hold of this point. In the first half, I actually thought Liverpool played quite well. Uh, I know... After the game, if you went to social media, it was as though the, the season had finished to some people. That was it. It was over. They were not going to win anything. Despite the fact that pretty sure when they played Chelsea last season at home, they lost 1-0 and were not particularly great. Uh, and in the first two games this season, they didn't they lose at home to Burnley last season? I think you'll find that they did. So there are, there are quite a few points up on last season already. But the disappointment comes from the fact that, as I say, they played against 10 men for 45 minutes. And the longer they... Those 45 minutes went on, the less likely it looked like they were going to score. And is that reflection on the forward line? Possibly a little bit, because obviously Jota came in for Firmino. I think we we forecasting all the way through the first couple of weeks that Firmino was going to start this game. And that's when Liverpool, while they may not have created loads of chances in those first 20 minutes, that's, that, that's when they were at their best, as far as I was concerned. And Chelsea's goal was against the run of play. Liverpool kind of got affected by that a little bit. Chelsea had one or two one good chance, a couple of half breaks if they'd actually played the right pass. But then the second half was just full of Liverpool. Had they played the right pass, they were in all the way through the second half. So I don't read too much into that. I think it was just, as I said, for the first 45 minutes, it was a very good game between two teams. are going to be up there at the top of the table for most of the season. The red card, while it was a red card, unfortunately, uh, ruined the game. Made kind of made it the way that it was in the second half. Chelsea will be delighted with, with when you saw the final whistle, they were made up with the points and they were exhausted. Uh, Liverpool, there'll be two points dropped in that regard. But looking at the bigger picture, I wasn't really particularly worried in the slightest. I thought, you know, if you, that early in the season, you're playing the European champions, don't forget, who are already a more cohesive unit because, as gorsey has got a great stat, which you can pick, point out about the defence in a second that Liverpool had out. Um wasn't the case with Chelsea. They they all knew what each other was doing, and that and that was borne out. So I think before the game, I said one all. After the game, one all. I just had to settle for that as a good result. Yeah, but I take your point on that, and I understand Stop. the talk around sort of the, the the red card and it ruining the game. And yeah, that forces Chelsea right back. But if I'd said to you before the the game, Liverpool yeah. are going to play a full forty five minutes against ten men, yeah. surely you'd be expecting more than a point. Uh, well, yeah, but. Then you are playing Chelsea, and let's not forget that it was early this year that Liverpool scored, was it, no goals from open play in about seven home games or something stupid like that. So, 
Yeah, but you can't the have reasoning for that at the time was there was no crowd. There was, and, and the, the, yeah, and the crowd were in, absolutely and the, bouncing. And the crowd were in, and they got a point against the Chelsea team that since then has won the European Cup and got to the FA Cup final. So let's not forget there is another team that was there. And this is a this is a very good Chelsea team that couldn't beat Liverpool. I, I don't I don't disagree with you on that. I, I think you can give there, there is two teams on the pitch and you can give Chelsea their dues for their defensive work. But Gorsley, with a bit more imagination, surely Liverpool could have won that game. Yeah, I agree with Doyle uh, in terms of Chelsea being one of the best drill defensive lineups in the in the Premier League. Three at the back with the wing backs. Um Klopp made the point after the game that um Chelsea could have went to a four four one. But instead, kept the five at the back and basically played a 5-3-1. Lukaku didn't really get touched, did he, in the second half? He was isolated for, for large parts of that. I just think, um, from Liverpool's perspective, um, the kind of trump card had already been played with Jota coming on for Firmino before the end of the first half. And then Liverpool didn't really have too much else, did he? Minamino... Kicking his heels on the sidelines, Oxley Chamberlain possibly an option with shots from distance, which is Liverpool's best route to goal by the looks of things in, in the second half. But, you know, for me, it just highlighted that um, they need more depth of quality in that front line. They've allowed Shikari to go. Shikari might have been able to unlock that door, you know, in the final 20 minutes. He certainly would have been a better option for me than Minamino and Anarigi wasn't even in the. Wasn't even on the in, on the bench, was he? So, um, while like I I agree to an extent that you know there are two teams looking to, to win the game and, and Liverpool don't perform in a vacuum. I just think that um, it did highlight the lack of attacking options up front, and I don't think we're being wise after the events. I think we've said throughout the still feel Liverpool are in midfield and a forward short. Um, don't think they're going to be getting a midfield now, judging off what Klopp said a couple of times now in his press conferences. Um, but for me, they still need some, you know, another forward, another body who's going to be capable of, of unlocking tight defences because they're going to come up against them every other week and I feel this season, aren't they? So uh, that would be something I would be um, tasking Michael Edwards with. It could be one of his, uh, one of his last ones, couldn't it? His last big forays into the market. But um, time is, is running out on that, on that score. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. There are 15, 16 real high-class options for Liverpool through the squad. But then if injuries are to be picked up, Roberto Firmino going off with one, still waiting to sort of find out how long he's going to be out for. But say he's out until the other side of the international break and an injury's picked up at, at Leeds United, all of a sudden Liverpool are down to bare bones in the forward line when last year it was the defence. That's the same for any side, though, isn't you? If you have injuries, you're going to be weaker. Um, the issue for Liverpool, as we, I've said before, is not the, the qual- uh, quantity. It's how much you believe the quality. Like, if you've got these players on the bench and you're not going to be bringing them on in a game that's tight against Chelsea and you know Chelsea are just going to sit back, it's like, well, when do you trust Oxlade-Chamberlain or Minimino? And it's not really because they're, they're bad players. It's just what Liverpool had out there at the time is better. Like, you know, Salah's better, Mane's better, Jota's better. You're not going to take off one of them. You don't want to lose control of the midfield either. But from where you arguably do need these extra bodies, but then you've got these players that weren't in the squad for the second half of last season that have come back from injury, that have come back from loan spells. So the squad 
is better than it was for the second half of last year. And it could be one where they want to get through to January and see how it is. They can see whether Takumi Minamio can step up. They want to see if Naby Keita can be fit for six months. They want to see if Oxlade Chamberlain can be for si- fit for six months. If Harvey Elliott can be a Premier League player. These options are there. And it's just whether they can promote from within and make these quality players. Um, it's almost as similar, I suppose, to when the defenders got their chances last year. Like you think Jurgen Klopp said, Nat Phillips and Reese Williams were not ready in October, November. It was only once they'd had those few months to bed in that they were for March, where they could see Liverpool over the line, get them into the top four. Now, Liverpool have got these players at disposal, but they've run out of time to move players on. It would have to be a very quick deal now if they wanted to bring someone in. And Jurgen Klopp's always been loyal to what he's got. So you can see why nothing has been happening too much bit so far in the summer when they are players there who weren't there from January onwards who have got a point to prove and could be the difference. Yeah, Doyle, it's deadline day tomorrow. Can of course you were saying obviously it doesn't seem likely that Jurgen Klopp wants a midfield player. He's made that very clear on, on Friday. What about Ford? Can you see Liverpool getting any business done? It feels as though it's it's very, very late in the day. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Yeah. I'd be surprised. It's not as if they haven't done it before. Like Oxlade Chamberlain was one, wasn't he? But that that's very much Liverpool, even before uh, Klopp was here, there was a very few deadline day where they actually brought in loads of players, certainly in comparison to when, to be honest, when I was covering Everton as well, it was always Everton when they were buying 500 million players because Liverpool weren't doing anything. And that seems to be the way, certainly under Klopp, that's been the way for quite some time. Um, it, the thing is, this is great. Let's bring it forward. Brilliant. Right. Who are we going to bring in? And then suddenly everyone's like coming up with these names and then you can just pick holes in nearly every single one of them, whether it's the price, whether it's not the fact, will they want to come if they know they're not playing, whether or not their team will want to let, let them go. Because if you're signing somebody, that team is then going to need to sign somebody. So it kind of, you know, there's a knock-on effect. And I think sometimes people forget that as well. So that's why if Liverpool do sign somebody, it will be part of a strange you know, chain reaction of moves that we'll see at least one of the players Liverpool are going and then obviously the other team having to replace their player. So, I mean, it could be busy, but the reality is it probably isn't. I mean, I think, well, Gorsty, we've both said for quite some time now that we still think the one short midfielder, there's no chance. I think next, if they're going to do anything with the midfield, it will be next year because Milner will have got to the end of his contract and you'd imagine they've had a full year to reassess the likes of Oxley Chamberlain and Cater, who will also be coming, to, I think, coming towards the end of their contracts as well. So there, there is there is that situation. But in terms of forwards, yeah, I think that they should bring somebody in. I think if they have, if they need someone, they will have the money for it. That's what I, my own personal view is that if they're absolutely desperately, let's put it this way: if Salah got injured today in training, was out for the season, they definitely buy somebody. So there's that, but it's. Whether or not, again, they've got something lined up next season, I don't know, like later down the line. Um, it is a tricky one. Um, but I, if I was Michael Edwards, I'd have said, I've gone a bit later with the story today, to be honest, and didn't, didn't like being woken up at eight o'clock doing work. Um, <laughs> and I'd also, I'd also be looking for, um, I'd also be looking to get in one more forward. Thing is, as Theo said, they've got a massive squad. If they bring in another forward, they ha- would have to have first got rid of one of the other ones. And obviously that means Minamino or as is way more likely a Rigi. And as we've seen reports recently, no one's come in with a proper concrete bid for a Rigi or certainly one that Liverpool deems sensible 
And I actually genuinely think somebody will tomorrow. I think somebody will need someone like Origi. They will want, and he'll go, I quite fancy going now. But then it's do Liverpool have somebody lined up? And that's a completely different question. Yeah, I think for me there, Gorsley, Doyle's hit the nail on the head in terms of why why couldn't Liverpool have brought in a forward in the first place and made it clear to Divock Origi, look, you're surplus to requirements, move on, go and play somewhere else because you don't meet professional footballers who don't want to be playing football. Well, yeah, that, that is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, don't like to, to do this. I don't like to play sporting director and start throwing <laughs> up. I think you should be buying and stuff like that. And People always ask me on, on the Q&As and whatever else, and they always say, well, I'm not a scout and I don't watch anywhere near as much football as, as, I, as I did maybe five or six years ago. But um, there's reports that Tottenham are going to be trying to get Adama Traore on loan tomorrow. Um, with a forty million fee next year. Now, to me, that that seems like something Liverpool should be in the conversation for. Someone who can play across the front three, and okay, people have got reservations over certain bits of his end product and so on, and and I understand that. But he seems to me like a ideal profile that Liverpool can get in the next what eighteen hours or so as we record it. Uh, and then you factor in Origi, who has previously been wanted by Wolves, and that make it, it, it seems to make a lot of sense to me. But um, you know, I'm not Michael Edwards, and we're not FSG. And um, you never know, Gorsley, there might be a vacancy coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've quite got the contacts that, that Michael has across European football, sadly. But um, yeah, we, we we shall see. I mean. All things point to Liverpool having the exact same squad tomorrow as, as they have now, um, and probably still losing a couple. The club feels that he's happy to. So, um, I think they're okay for midfielders, but I'd be I'd be worried if Liverpool go into that. Uh, you know, the rest of the season until January at least, with the options that they've got currently for the front three positions. It also, Theo, to me, seems as though there's a there's a big burden of responsibility on Sadio Mane's shoulders as well of, of getting goals. And last year, he didn't have his best form. And yet it's a case of not just play yourself back in, but now we are just completely relying on you once more. And actually, it would be beneficial to maybe have someone who could take a few games in there so he's not having to just play every minute of every every game all the time. They do. They've got Jota. Yeah, but if Firmino, if Firmino's injured and Jota has to deputise there, then you can't clone Diogo Jota, can you? You can't play in two positions at, at one time. No, but then you've still got Minamino, you've still got Harvey Elliott you know, to this front three. Yes, it puts pressure on him, but he's a top player. He's recorded 20 goal seasons, multiple occasions. He's won the Premier League, he's won the Champions League. You're not a player of that standard at a club like Liverpool if you can't handle the pressure. So it's one where, yeah, just he's doing his job, isn't he? He's at the forward. You want him to get goals. And he knows he's going to have to get goals. He knows he had a disappointing season last year. Um, but he's already looked so much better this year. Uh, he looks like he's had this uh, amazing benefit of the rest from a full pre-season and a full summer holiday. And it's one where you can see him getting a few more goals. And maybe he won't have his highest goal score in return, but he's still looking a threat. He's linking up well with Andy Robertson. Putting a few good crosses on Saturday, if threat both scoring and assisting, 
So it's one where Liverpool got versatile options. They've got the cover there. It's just whether you think the players who aren't playing uh, can do it consistently to the same level. And you won't know until they get the opportunities. And it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if they get the opportunities, you say, well, what, what's wrong with Sadio Mane? What's wrong with Roberto? They may know they've made a mistake not signing someone. But then they could have talent. No one would have seen Harvey Elliott being first choice for Liverpool a month ago, would they? And he's come in and he's been one of the players of the season so far. Granted, we're only three games in. But if you give them the opportunities and they deliver, and you can see the benefits of it. And it's just transfer deadline day. Always strange things can happen. Like we saw Ben Davis, didn't we, going to Liverpool in January. Carback came from nowhere. There was all these talks of other centre-backs like Coletta Carr being stranded at an airport waiting to be told he'd get on a plane to come to Liverpool. Um, players going out like Minamino went late on loan. That came from nowhere. Uh, Nico Williams was being linked as well. So, well. Players are going to be linked and it's how frantic it gets. It gets public knowledge like we've seen, I think, in the past day. Curtis Jones has been linked with a move away. They're saying Aston Villa are interested. Um, I think that's since been rebuffed in, in some reports. But uh, just seen on The Guardian, they're saying it was like 15 million. So it's like, oh, are Liverpool going to end up in a position where they actually do want to bring someone in? It's just not happened yet. And they're going to have to just sacrifice someone to bring that money in, like they did for Rian Brewster last summer. You think, actually, that's quite a good offer. That would help us get something over the line. But then it's about finding the right opportunity. Like when Jurgen Klopp was quite uh, defensive, wasn't he, when he was asked about his midfield options in pre-match last week. And he was saying, going through all his options and saying, well, look at the strengths these players have got. Oxlade-Chamberlain, if you wanted a player as dynamic as him, there is not someone available on the market when he's fit. He's best at what he does. But if someone could come in and improve our midfield and they've got all these attributes, we would get them. It's just about being the right player and the right offer for Liverpool, the right opportunity. Adama Traore, as Gorsi has mentioned, well, that's on a loan. It seems a bit of a no-brainer. We know Klopp likes him in the past. And it's just, well, there's been links with Jared Bowen. West Ham have been linked with an Origi. That's another one. Maybe there is a oh, with two birds, one stone sort of thing for a swap deal. But if these players, it would only just be as a swap option sort of thing to complement what Liverpool have already got. You're not going to see Sadio Mane losing his first choice players, are you? And he's had a good start to the season. You just want to see that continue. Going back to the question, yeah, it's pressure, but they're not playing for Liverpool if they can't hack it. Right, we'll have to wait and see what does play out. Transfer deadline day, of course, coming up tomorrow. Do keep across the live transfer blog across on the Liverpool Echo website. Here on Blood Red, we'll have plenty of content for you too. But from myself, Guy Clark, Ian Doyle, Paul Gorst and Theo Squires, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.